Welcome to the podcast. I'm Dr. Jennifer Stanley. I'm a clinical assistant professor in the Departments of Internal Medicine and Psychiatry at ECU Health. Today, I am joined by Dr. Maxwell Miller, who's going to be talking with us about acinepine. Thank you, Dr. Stanley. I'm Maxwell Miller, a fourth-year internal medicine and psychiatry resident at ECU Health Brody School of Medicine. So to get things started, acinepine is classified as an atypical or second-generation antipsychotic. It happens to be the only antipsychotic that is available in sublingual form and later became available in a transdermal patch under the brand name Sequato. It was first reported and studied in 1990 and later gained FDA approval for the treatment of schizophrenia in 2009. One of the highlights of acenapine when it was first approved, is its novel formulation being sublingual and low tendency to cause extrapyramidal symptoms in preclinical studies. What are the formal indications for acenapine? While acenapine initially was only approved for treatment of schizophrenia in adults, it was later approved for treatment of acute mania, mixed episodes, and maintenance therapy for bipolar disorder. It is approved for both adjunctive therapy to mood stabilizer, like lithium or valproid in adults, as well as maintenance monotherapy in adults. And you mentioned that acinepine is classified as an atypical or second-generation antipsychotic. Can you elaborate on how it works? Of course. Acinepine is proposed to have efficacy in schizophrenia and bipolar due to a combination of antagonism of the dopamine D2 receptors and serotonin 5-HT2A receptors. It also has high affinity for alpha-adrenergic and histamine receptors with virtually no muscarinic or cholinergic receptor activity. Acenapine's higher affinity for serotonergic receptors as compared to dopaminergic receptors is theorized to improve negative symptoms with fewer neuromotor or extrapyramidal symptoms. Additionally, serotonergic blockade as well as noradrenergic antagonism is theorized to improve cognitive symptoms while also diminishing weight gain. And you mentioned that it's administered sublingually. How does that affect its absorption and metabolism? Acenapine is rapidly absorbed sublingually. It reaches peak concentration within 0.5 to 1.5 hours. Interestingly, increasing the dose even doubling the dose does not result in linear increases in its exposure and maximum concentration. This may explain the observations that doubling the dose from 5 milligrams to 10 milligrams added little benefit in certain studies. The bioavailability of sublingual acenapine is already low, but decreases drastically when swallowed. It also decreases substantially with intake of water or food for up to 10 minutes after it is administered. As far as metabolism, it is metabolized by the liver, predominantly UGT1A4, CYP1A2, and CYP3A4 enzyme. It appears to be both a substrate and inhibitor of CYP2D6 enzyme, although this would suggest that it would inhibit its own metabolism, thus increasing exposure to acenapine. This has not been observed in any clinically significant way. Knowing that, 
Are there any other drug interactions to be concerned about or dose adjustments to be aware of? Drug interactions have been observed, and strong CYP1A2 inhibitors like fluvoxamine or Luvox may cause acenapine levels to increase if co-administered with Luvox due to it being metabolized by the CYP1A2 enzyme. Therefore, dose reductions of acenapine may be necessary if a patient is also on fluvoxamine. Other medications with the observed drug interactions include CYP2D6 substrates and inhibitors, for example, paroxetine. In this case, acenapine may enhance the inhibitory effects of paroxetine, thus increasing exposure to paroxetine, therefore necessitating a reduction in paroxetine dose by half if combined with acenapine. As acenapine is useful as an adjunct of valproic acid or lithium in the treatment of bipolar disorder, it's worth noting that there is no clinically important drug interactions with either of these drugs, and no dose adjustments are required when co-administered with acenapine. Aside from patients taking certain medications, are there any other known medical conditions that would affect the dosing of acenapine, such as renal failure or hepatic impairment, especially considering it's extensively metabolized in the liver? It's a good question. To start with, any sort of renal involvement or impairment relative to prescribing acenapine. There is no dose adjustment required if patients have renal impairment, so therefore it may be a good option in that population. However, hepatic impairment is a consideration or caution should be taken in prescribing acenapine in this population particularly with severe hepatic impairment or child PU class C. These patients with severe hepatic impairment or child PU class C should not be prescribed acenapine. Otherwise, this medication can be used. And so it sounds like acenapine would be contraindicated in severe hepatic impairment. Are there any other contraindications to using the medication? No. Acenapine is... Only otherwise contraindicated in cases of hypersensitivity to its use in patients previously exposed to acenapine. And, as mentioned earlier, severe hepatic impairment is a contraindication. Okay. And can you tell us how it would be typically dosed in healthy individuals? Sure. For providers prescribing acenapine, patients should be informed and educated extensively on correct usage to maximize the benefit of this medication. To start, you should instruct the patient to place the sublingual tablet under the tongue and leave it there to dissolve completely. They should also avoid drinking or eating anything for 10 minutes after taking it. When dosing acenapine, tablets are available in 2.5 milligrams, 5 milligrams, and 10 milligrams. In patients with schizophrenia, whom are adults, prescribers are recommended to start acenapine at 5 milligrams given sublingually twice daily. The recommended starting dose for bipolar 1 disorder with acute mania is 10 milligrams twice daily. Otherwise, 5 milligrams twice daily may be appropriate in cases of mixed episodes or for bipolar maintenance. In pediatric patients, the starting dose should be reduced by half to 2.5 milligrams twice daily. Some patients may stay on this dose and some may require further titration up towards the 10 milligram range. Beyond 10 milligrams twice daily, no clinically significant benefit was noticed. 
And we've talked about this sublingual form. Can you talk to us about the transdermal patch? Absolutely. Sequato is currently the only antipsychotic transdermal patch FDA approved to treat schizophrenia. However, it is not the first patch, as Blonan Sarin earns that title. That is also a second-generation transdermal patch for schizophrenia and was developed and launched around the same time as Sequato in 2019. However, Blonansarin is not FDA-approved for use in patients in the United States and is currently used in Japan, South Korea, and China. Sequato, however, was approved in 2009 by the FDA after multiple studies demonstrated safety and efficacy of this medication. So how do these novel drug delivery forms differ in pharmacokinetics according to these studies, and would that affect their use in clinical practice? There have been two single-dose studies and one multiple ascending dose study, which demonstrated the safety and tolerability of the transdermal formulation in patients with schizophrenia. The pharmacokinetics of sublingual versus transdermal acenapine were compared in these trials and demonstrated dose proportionality in acenapine exposure when steady state was reached. In the transdermal formulation, there were minimal peak to trough fluctuations compared with more prominent fluctuations in the sublingual group. And going back to the sublingual acenapine, how would you evaluate its efficacy in schizophrenia and bipolar disorder? Fortunately, there have been numerous trials that have established efficacy of acenapine in both disorders. There were three main trials which demonstrated efficacy in adult patients with schizophrenia. In a short-term, six-week trial, a single fixed dose of 5 milligrams twice daily was compared to placebo and to fixed doses of 5 milligrams or 10 milligrams twice daily. In both, 5 milligrams twice daily was superior to placebo on the positive and negative symptom scale, PANS, which, as the name suggests, measures positive symptoms and negative symptoms of schizophrenia and also general psychopathology. Acenapine 10 milligrams twice daily showed no additional benefit when compared to 5 milligrams twice daily and was not significantly different from placebo. So compared to placebo, acenapine has been proven to be efficacious. Sometimes efficacy can come at a cost, though, and that can be in the way of side effects. Are there any side effects that providers need to be aware of with acenapine? Many of the side effects which are associated with either second generation or first generation or just both generations of antipsychotics, can include neuroleptic malignant syndrome, tardive dyskinesia, leukopenia, neutropenia, and agranulocytosis, as well as QTC prolongation and orthostatic hypotension. QTC prolongation is something that we'll talk about further, as this is something you really want to pay attention to in patients taking antipsychotics, especially if on other medications which prolong the QTC interval. One placebo-controlled study dedicated to observing the effect of acenapine on QTC took stable patients with schizophrenia and compared the QTC in those treated with 5, 10, 15, and 20 milligrams twice daily acenapine. The study had 151 subjects and, on average, observed QTC interval increases of 2 to 5 milliseconds from baseline as compared to placebo. There were no increases by more than 60 milliseconds from baseline or anyone reaching QTC greater than 500 milliseconds. It is advisable 
as mentioned earlier, to try and avoid combination with other drugs or which also are known to prolong the QTC interval, such as antiarrhythmics like amiodarone, sotalol, and certain antibiotics like fluoroquinolones. Are there any other parameters that need to be monitored while patients are on acinepine? Certain monitoring should be done for all second-generation antipsychotics. For example, an A1C to monitor for any metabolic syndrome which may be developing, fasting plasma glucose, which is also for the same type of disease, and lipid panels should be obtained before initiating treatment with acenapine. And then they should be collected again at an appropriate interval or soon after starting acenapine, and then monitored periodically throughout the long-term treatment process. And you should also be monitoring their weight to detect any risk for metabolic disturbances, which are more typically associated with the second-generation antipsychotics. Of note, in a 52-week double-blind trial in patients with schizophrenia, the observed mean increase from baseline of fasting glucose was 2.4, and the mean weight gain from baseline was 0.9 kilograms, with approximately 15% of patients increasing in body weight of more than 70% from their baseline. And what do we know about its safety when used in pregnancy? Well, unfortunately, studies have not been done with acenapine in pregnant women or lactating women. Therefore, there are no available data on risk for congenital defects, miscarriage, or passage into the breast milk. And so it sounds like acenapine is a, a useful medication, especially with its novel sublingual and transdermal dermal patch form um, with some good evidence behind its, its efficacy. Um, thank you for teaching us so much about it today, Dr. Miller. Thank you, everybody, for joining us to learn more about it.